I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You know my computer screen? Mm-hmm. is peeling. I've Googled it and it's called like Mac Screen Gate or something. And at the moment it's kind of okay because it's just all around the edges but it's starting to encroach on the screen which means you can't actually see if it's a mac thing screen. if it's a mac issue they'll uh, do it for you for free just go really to either that or people have to start venmoing me money mm. so i can afford one you know venmo no i don't know venmo is like where people can like send you money and stuff but people always you know when people's tweets go viral and stuff they're usually like 18 or whatever and they're like um, i'm broke venmo me really <laughs> yeah it's funny so it's just free money. They send the money for nothing. They don't expect anything in exchange. I think like young creatives, like artists and stuff, will ah, sometimes so be like, like patronising. It's like yeah, I think so. That days. as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, artists years ago used to get just free money for um, Venmo from patrons. Yeah, no, I get you. Yeah, it wasn't called Venmo. But no, it's free money. Well, I mean, what does Venmo stand for? It's it's owned by PayPal. Right. Can transfer funds to others via mobile phone app. Both the sender and the receiver have to live in the US. Venmo is a type of payment rail. It handled $12 billion in transactions in the first yeah. quarter of 2018. But you have That's to live, a lot. You can't get Venmo's money because you have to live in the US. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, this is the 46th one that we've ever recorded, the 46th of these podcasts. So we'll start traditional style. We'll try out a few jokes. Um, maybe Hitler wouldn't have been so grumpy if people hadn't left him hanging for high fives all the time. <laughs> Yeah, like that. Yeah, like Rhys James, that is. Here's one for you. I think the worst thing about driving a time machine is your kids are always in the back moaning, are we then yet? That's not, it's not laugh out loud, no, ha 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 funny, it's but clever. it's clever, yeah. Mm. I appreciate it. I don't want to say that it's not funny. No, uh, well, that was from Paul F. Taylor. I don't know him. Robert Granham, here's one of his uh, jokes. Insomnia is awful, but on the plus side, only three more sleeps till Christmas. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Good. You're a bit like that uh, I know, character the girl in, from Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Yeah, in yeah. Seinfeld who just never laughed, just said, uh, that's funny. Okay, and we're ready to go? I mean, yeah. You're going to uh, France on a French exchange uh, for a week. We yeah. Had, we had uh, a young lady from France came over here. You're going over there. It's a very sexist place, France. Did you know how sexist it was? No. Well, here's... Please do tell. I will tell. Uh, there's a headline here. It says sexism. 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 
sexism, yeah. Sexism starts with morning news in France. Women are portrayed as stupid, incompetent and naive on the morning radio news in France. Yeah, just watch Good Morning Britain. Susanna Reid is portrayed as the same. Uh, According to an official report, in its first assessment of sexism in France as a whole, uh, the Higher Council for Equality, whatever they are, the HCE, the Higher Council for Equality... That's how it's made up. It does, but apparently it exists. ...said that stereotypes perpetuated by leading radio stations nurtured a culture in which harassment could flourish... Uh, Detractors said the report was influenced by British and US feminists whose ideas were incompatible with French culture in which seduction and sex have never been taboo subjects. Mm. The ca- see, all politicians there, you know, traditionally always have a mistress. And nobody bothers about it much yeah, in France. Yeah. You know, it's not a big story like culture, it's over mm. The council was critical of comics such as Laurent Gérard and Nicolas Cantaloupe. Uh, regulars on the French equivalents of BBC Radio 4's Today programme. Radio stations referred to women by first names and men by surnames, which we used to sort of do over here quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, Alba Ventura, a political commentator on RTL Radio, which employs Gera, said, As a woman, I say that comics have the right to make sex- sexist jokes. It makes me laugh. So um, what do you think of that, the French? Sexist. Yeah. And you're going to study. In fact, you might even have to go over there for a year. Well, I will have to go over there. Yeah, if you get into university. I think that it's just because, I don't know, maybe because the French are more... It's a different culture. ...more chilled out, so they don't care as much. Hmm. Or maybe it's because women, they're allowed to make jokes about women because women are actually seen as equal. Do you know what I mean? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the French get away with it because we say, they're French. The uh, people who are in favour of what goes on in France, basically, are saying the report was influenced by British and US feminists. And uh, what I'm saying is that in Britain... Well, they think we're ridiculous anyway, that we get so het up about stuff, don't Mm, they? Precisely. What do you think? Do you think we're ridiculous because we get so het up about stuff? Or on your own side of these British and US feminists? I don't know. Yeah, you see. Well, that's a quandary for you, isn't it? That's a quandary. But uh, as we've opened up the subject of comedy... You know, I sometimes say, it's very difficult these days. And you say, no, no, it's not. Well, I, I honestly, genuinely UK, don't think it France is. France, it's not. No, I don't think it is difficult. I think that, and also people are like, oh, you kids don't find anything funny anymore. No, we just don't find racist things funny. No, I'm not talking about racism. All sorts of things. All or, sorts or, of things. Or sexism. Everything. Or ableism. Yeah, sexism, racism, ableism, transgenderism. You know, yeah. everything's If racism. you can't make They're a joke without... Only the only thing that is acceptable. No, now, you're going to say it's ageism, and that's ageism not true. That's not absolutely true. Absolutely true. That's not true. Yeah, it's very Piers Morgan because he said that ageism, 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 mm. and it's it's just you see it because you are older. There's an old Croatian proverb which goes, uh, "Even the blind hen occasionally pecks a grain," and basically what it means is that if a blind hen is going around very occasionally. The fact that it's, it's like say a stopped watch is right twice a day. It's that sort of thing. Just because Piers Morgan says something occasionally, he will be right. It doesn't mean no, he's automatically wrong. I'm not saying that. I think that well, you, were, you see. Yeah. Okay. I think that you that you see ageism. No, I think ageism is a thing. But you only you only acknowledge the ageism because you're older. No, that is that. No, I'm, but I'm you don't see that. You don't. I'm talking about humour. It's it's very. I do it myself. It's safe to make jokes about ageism. You know, you can talk about the Rolling Stones. Oh, there's Mick Jagger. He's 107 next birthday or whatever. You can, That's not ageism, though. 
Well, you would get away with saying something of that degree. You would get away with saying something of that degree about women or about about a race issue. No, people would say about the uh, the Rolling Stones. Oh, their album "Give Me Shelter." It's been remade. "Give Me Shelter" accommodation. It's you could say that's not ageism. No, but in one sense, it's quite safe to make jokes about old people. You can't make jokes. People still make jokes about women, Dad. This is an article in the Guardian. Sophie Hagen is a Danish comedian. I've actually seen her. She's quite good. But she's a Danish comedian who agrees with you. She says, when comedians say, oh, you can't say anything these days, what they are actually saying is, I don't know how to be funny without stomping on people. She says, a lot of comedians do, and they're doing well based on that. So they're doing well based on the fact that they can, uh, that they don't stomp on people, for instance. And then she lists a whole load of comedians who aren't funny, several of whom I've seen. One funny one, a lot of extremely unfunny ones oh there's loads of them here i'm not going to read them all out but anyway says it sometimes takes a bit of extra work you have to be aware of your own privilege and you have to educate yourself so you don't use damaging language okay then they go on about louis ck and then it says it was as if ck had reacted to the new wave of wokeness there's a new wave of wokeness by uh, so all those comedians they mention are all woke as long as you're woke it doesn't matter if you're funny or not Reacted to the new wave of wokeness by indicting political correctness. There's a new generation of comics. This is an article in The Guardian by Stuart Jeffries, their comedy critic. There's a new generation of comics retaliating against the old template of comedy. And then it mentions there's uh, something called The Lol Word, which is a comedy night, brackets for queer women and non-binary performers, and FOC it up, fuck it up, uh, standing for femmes of colour. Sophie Hagen is emblematic of this new kind of comedian. Last year, she demanded that every venue on her Dead Baby Frog tour was, quote, anxiety safe, meaning audience members with anxiety could be allowed into the venue before others arrived or be warned of any words or topics that might be triggering for them. Is this ridiculous? So, well, or some it of it... So, OK, so some of that is too far, I think. OK, fair enough. Probably. But then... But, yeah, some of that is too far. But having nights where it's women non-binary women lgbt uh, what was it non women who were non-binary and women who were whatever yeah non-binary queer women it says and queer women some nights like that are important because they provide safe places for women who are like that to speak because they don't wouldn't feel safe in the very you've got to say that comedy as much as people like this sophie hagen are doing stuff comedy is still a very macho arena and it's still very it's a very male yeah, I think. It, uh, yes, I think you're right. I think if you go to places like the Comedy Store, definitely. Yeah, and it, and and still on um things like eight out of ten cats and those would I lie to you and those things. It still is overwhelmingly men than mm. women, and it's also women who look. You know, people like Catherine Ryan. She, I don't think she would have done. I think she's hilarious. I think she's really, really funny. And I think when she first did eight out of ten cats, she got loads and loads of material into it and, and she was really really she's really good at those talk shows but i don't think she would have done as well if she'd have been queer or non-binary because she looks the part as well okay well is this the future of funny the article says uh, perhaps it's the only way to survive a uh, comic dame baptiste thinks it would be detrimental to a comic's career to plow on with problematic humor when it comes to how people balance freedom of speech there's perhaps a generational divide we're coming to the ageism the received wisdom would probably... This is comedy writer and actor Liam Williams, who I've never heard of. It's a quote from him. The received wisdom would probably be, though it would be complacent just to assume that any backlash to increase nuance, consideration, empathy in comedy 
is just coming from nearly dead Daily Mail readers. So older people are described as nearly dead Daily Mail readers. Not all hey, older so they've people got about, Well, that's what... But it feels perfectly okay to... If I said stupid women or uh, blondes or whatever... But it's because of the power. Like, you can't... There's a reason why you can say people can say things about older white men, and it's because they don't face oppression in the same ways as women and people of colour do. Some of the reasons you can't make that's just a swipe. That's nearly dead Daily Mail readers. No, so that's not that's not right to say that. To say that is not right, and you shouldn't have. And he shouldn't have like he shouldn't have said that. And to make constantly ageist jokes is not funny, and it's not okay. But there is a reason why you can make jokes about older white men and you can't make them about female women of colour. And it's, do you know what I mean? I can, see, I can see all that, but I just think it's emblematic that in the middle of an article, which is all about what you can't say, they just quite casually say, yes, it's not just nearly dead Daily Mail readers. I would just be described as a nearly dead Daily Mail reader, even, you know, because uh, to the managed to get a swipe at the Daily Mail as, you know, oh yeah, Daily Mail, let's make a joke about the Daily Mail, let's make a joke about Piers Morgan. Piers P- Morgan, Morgan's a Piers Morgan will, no, he's not just, he's also. Hey, rude he's and manipulative. Blo- he's already blocking me on Twitter. So <laughs> no, but he is also when when he's on the on Good Morning Britain, he's rude and he t- takes vulnerable people and puts them into and fights them into a corner. Like I'm, I don't just not agree with what he says. I honestly think he's a bad man. I think and I think that the way he acts is completely inappropriate. And I think he's extremely rude to Susanna Reid. And I think that to be in that kind of position of power. I'll tell you what, you wouldn't find a woman in that position of power because when Katie Hopkins went to... So she's always been controversial. She had a column in the sub and she had loads of controversial things. But she took it a step too far, which Piers Morgan has already done. And now she's been cast aside. Fair enough. But do you honestly think that a woman could act the way that Piers Morgan does on Good Morning Britain? Well, now, your friends in the Corbynite wing of the Labour Party claim that Fiona Bruce acted that way to Diane Abbott on Question Time. Do you think so? No, I don't think so. I thought she was perfectly fair. But yeah, I know, but people are good. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Fiona Bruce did doesn't did not act the way that Piers Morgan does. Well, they're, they're saying I'm, I don't think she did, but they're saying uh, she did. Did you do you not see the controversy? Yeah, but and then that's another. No, I saw the controversy about it. But then that's another example of how Fiona Bruce. Obviously, anyone who was following David Dimbleby, Dimbleby yeah, that's right. Anyone who was going to be following Dave Dimbleby, who had been doing the show for, what, oh, yes. 25 years yeah. or something ridiculous, and does it extremely well, was going to face scrutiny. But a lot of people were saying she faced more scrutiny because she was a woman, <laughs> and people were instantly trying to pick out things that she did wrong because she was a woman more than they would have done with a man. No, I don't think so. I think she got... Uh, I, I think people were glad that it had changed and it was a woman. I think people got fed up with David Dimbleby, and she got a very, very good reception from everybody, from all, those nearly, from all those nearly dead Daily Mail readers. She got a very, very good reception. The people she didn't get a good reception from was the left-wing Corbynite, yeah, but Remain, that was because nearly she dead was, people, etc. But that was because she was good at it. Do you know what I mean? She got a good response because she was good at it, but before that... People were instantly, as soon as it came out that she was going to be it, people were trying yeah. to find things. I don't, uh, people I don't were trying to pick faults, but luckily mm. she was very, very good at it. So I'll tell you what I did see in a thing I watched on Netflix called The Last Laugh, which had uh, Chevy Chase and Richard Dreyfus in it. They were in a retirement home, and he was saying, Chevy Chase said, oh, there's too many old people here. And they said, we don't use the O word these days. We don't talk about old people. Pre-dead is what we call them now, which I thought was a good joke. Yeah, but I don't. I just don't understand what you mean because you, on the one hand, you're saying 
So do you think anyone should be able to make jokes about absolutely anything? Yeah. And that's okay? Yeah. Even if... But what if the, if the jokes aren't funny? Like, some people, well, people that, that say... Should be the, that should be the rule. No, but people if they're say... funny, they're funny. Yeah, but sometimes they're funny, but only to a certain type of person. Sometimes people make jokes about black people or Pakistani people or something. And they're not, they're not for, broadly not funny. For, that's not happened for 40 years. You don't that's think not, that's happened for 40 no, years? No, I don't think people make jokes. People have been Except making jokes Benidorm, about women. In Benidorm, there are still comedians from in the, the 70s. Last, in the last five years, people have made jokes about women. Oh, you didn't say women. You okay, said so, so, people and Pakistani okay, people. Okay, so let's take women anymore. for an example then. Mm. You think that anyone should be able to make any jokes about women? More or less, if they're funny. I mean, that that is the rule, if they're funny. See, all that stuff... But sometimes, what if they're only funny to men? You know, when I look at the, the comedians that I grew up with, the Ken Dodd and Les Dawson and Morgan and Wise and all those people, and, and let's mention Faulty Towers again, because you know like that, and Monty Python, it appealed to loads of people, predominantly men, I'll agree. Well, it depends which one you're talking about. Monty Python was very male, but that wasn't because it made jokes about women. It was because it was a sort of humour that appealed to, like, sixth formers and university, you know, yeah. men who'd done A-levels, that sort of thing. But I think, I think though, that you can still say stuff that's funny. and But, like, so in between us, I think, is a really good example of something... I think in between us is absolutely hilarious. I think it's one of the funniest comedies and one of the funniest, like, school comedies mm. that's ever been made and that is four boys and the humor is very i don't know locker like almost locker room humor like it's it's that type of thing but because but, i think and, we've and moved on from that i don't think you could make think, the in between i think you now. could make the I think in, you know the in between us is pre me too it's pre weinstein yeah, it's pre transgender i, I re-watch I re that now and i never think that the way that they make and because they do make jokes about women and they call yeah, they the the girl the girl who's played by Emily Atak, the um, they call her, uh, big jokes or something like that, whatever whatever they call her. But the humour towards women never come, it never feels malicious and it never feels no. well, it disrespectful. Have to. No, it doesn't have to. That's what I'm saying. But those types of but jokes about women are fine. It. Well, they were I think fi- they would. I no, think you can do it. They were fine it. ten years. How is it? Ten years old? Yeah, in between, yeah. They were fine ten years ago. They're not fine now. I'm really? saying, yeah. I'm what I'm saying. I suppose at the end of all this, but you can still be funny. Can I just tell you about this guy who, a uh, Russian comedian, his name is, yes, Konstantin Kisin, who said he pulled out of a gig which he was doing for UNICEF on uh, London School of Oriental and African Studies after refu- refusing to sign a behavioural agreement form. The form stated, by signing this contract, you're agreeing to our no-tolerance policy with regards to racism, sexism, classism, ageism, ableism, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, xenophobia, Islamophobia, or anti-religion or anti-atheism. Kishin said, I grew up under the Soviet Union. When I saw this letter basically telling me what I could and couldn't say, I thought this was precisely the kind of letter a comic would have been sent there, which struck me as, as an indication it's gone too far. So there was an article about how the process in which you apply to universities in which you receive offers is absolutely mad, basically. The pro- the whole process was designed in which you get your offers before you've got your right. actual grades. You get offers based on predicted grades and there's unconditionals and conditionals and firms and insurances and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, and that was designed when less than 5% of the population went to university. And now nearly 50% of young people rather than 5% are going. So it seems ridiculous that we've still got the same system. And we're one of the only countries in the Western world that has the offers for universities based on just solely expected grades rather than any actual evidence. And so it means that students make decisions earlier than they need to based on stuff that's not tangible. And then if your grades don't match the offer, then you have to go to the weird thing of clearing, which Mm -hmm. is ridiculous because you end up taking offers from universities which you wouldn't have before and just like kind of ridiculous. And it also means that because it's based on predicted grades you end up with a lot of students who are first in their generation to go to university they end up with lower predicted grades than they actually should have because they're not expected to do as well and they apply to universities which are below yeah they could get they better, could get universities. better universities but then they take these offers based on predicted grades actually end up getting better but end up going to the predicted predicted ones anyway and it also means that kids who go to private schools where they're always pushed to get the highest grades will be predicted grades better than they are, are, should actually be predicted whereas kids in state schools weren't and so they, then they end so up why, getting why, places yeah, I mean, that makes sense why don't they just change the system and because i think that they they couldn't what, what are the advantages why, why of this system so this system i can't see any advantages that's no. why i thought it was an interesting story because i never really thought of it i just assumed that that was the best way to do it but when you think about it, it is absolutely wild that we get into universities it's, it's, it's based on It's a time thing, I, I presume, because they, they can now... You, you're offered... But in, um, in, you've got your university offers. Yeah, but in... Therefore, um, they know in advance, <clears throat> more or less, you know, who's gonna, yeah, predicted numbers. grades, they know in advance the numbers. So they but know in America, the they do SAT tests. So, so one of the reasons that they have to base it off expected grades is because we do so many, like, big essay subjects, or even if you do maths and stuff each question requires like a lot of answers rather than just a one number answer so the marking there's loads and loads of it to get through and there's just not the time to do it before to get the word back to the universities and release results and whatever but the way they do it in america is they have sat tests which is like scratching the boxes and it's just like they're all like multiple choice or they're like single words and stuff so they can mark that run it through computers and mark those really 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 quickly and then they can get offered. But now, I, I just I don't think that they could ever change the system, really. No, but you've got offers, as far as you're concerned, you've got offers from a few different... I mean, you're, you're like a Premier League footballer in that... Uh, <laughs> well, I took a phone call from Birmingham University the other day. People are, you know, just a chat. Yeah, but I don't with, want to go to Birmingham, just saying. No, fair enough. Birmingham. Um, so um, it's interesting because you've got uh, an offer from... Uh, an unconditional offer from York... And you've got a conditional offer from Lancaster, is it? Well, I've got an interview for an unconditional for Lancaster. From Lancaster. And you've got to make a decision between York and Lancaster. Which Probably, is yeah. The, I mean, I've got an offer from Durham as well, but I don't think I'm going to take that. No. So that'll be interesting, won't it? With you? What we could, I was hoping to do was put... Because you are like as a Premier League footballer, should you go to United or City? It's between York and Lancaster. Um, ask anybody who has been to those universities. So it's a public. Vote. You wanted to make a um, like a maybe a spreadsheet and then just have yeah, rankings. See, and then, yeah. yeah, but if you went to either York or Lancaster, have any specialist knowledge? Do send us an email because you, you're weighing everything up at the moment. Yeah, I've you? not visited so Lancaster no, yet. In fairness, that's so. right. It's true, but it's modern languages you want to do. Yeah, it, modern you know. modern languages at Lancaster, but modern languages mm. isn't a class at York. So yeah. at York, it would be French and Spanish. And at one stage, you were sort of thinking a bit about Bristol. 
but um, but then everyone committed suicide, and I decided against. Well, there were. No, it's just a bit too um a bit southern. Too f- southern, yeah. But I, the, I really I picked all universities above them. Um, I just drew a line, and then I was like, I'll just go up. But if you were to go to Bristol, the good news at Bristol is that university students there are being offered bubble wrap to help to soothe their nerves because they've had a lot of problems with stress and everything in Bristol, they're being offered bubble wrap. Uh, the wrap is included in stress relief packages being handed out to undergraduates at Bristol University. The packets come with instructions saying, for immediate stress relief, pop three capsules every four to six hours or as needed. Interesting. Very interesting. We've That's- got um, dogs, like guide puppies or something, coming into college. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know whether it's helped with stress, but... Then we've got guide puppies coming into college. Oh, that's nice. We'll take a short break and then uh, have a quick look at the uh, at the emails. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, I've asked for um, emails for people to, uh, so you can help you choose between York and Lancaster if they're the two that are remaining. So if you want to contribute to the York Lancaster post box, it's martinandruthpodcast at gmail.com. That's martinandruthpodcast at gmail.com. Stephen Marsland sent us uh, an interesting one, Ruth. He said he started listening to this podcast uh, after hearing adverts for it in other podcasts. Oh. He, yeah, he says, after, so I didn't know that these adverts, they do some good. He says, after listening to other podcasts and hearing adverts for yours, I thought I'd give you a listen. Not least because, like Simon Callow, uh, I've appropriated a role in a stage play that maybe should have gone to a proper middle-aged Yorkshire man, not an East Midlander like me. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I thought that Ruthie, off the podcast advert, has a fairly strong accent. He says he likes the way you said, I'm wrong about most things. Uh, I don't even hear it. I don't hear it with I don't hear it either. But he's, put, he's spelt most, uh, M-U-R-S-T. Most. 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 Yeah. Do you say it? Most. Most. Yeah, yours is slightly different, but he thinks... Most. He's, basically, he's listening to our podcast to podcast. get... Yeah, I heard it then. He's listened to the podcast to get a take on the West Yorkshire accent. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, He says, uh, I'm sure, like me, you don't believe you have an accent, but we do. 
Um, East East Midlands. I like the East Midlands accent. I think it's nice. Middux. That's what Middux. Uh, he says. Middux. I can't do mine's it. Mine's a dreadful Leicester accent. He says. So I'm two podcasts down now. Brilliant. We've done forty six. This is the forty sixth. Forty sixth. He says I'll continue. See, I, I don't even start. I don't listen to things that have got more than ten episodes because no. I, I can't keep up. Well, don't don't say that. Anyway, <laughs> he's using it as a learning aid. He says, uh, so if I'm forgiven for taking a role that a Yorkshire person should have, I'll continue to listen after the play is over. Actually, if I could send you the script, you could read all my lines out secretly in the pod, so we could get the West Yorkshire. He says, yours tongue in cheekily, Stephen from Grantham, and he's playing Joe in Amanda Whittington's Ladies Day. Oh. Do you know that play? No, no, no I actually no, don't. No, no. But, right, sir, if you want to send an email for next week, the email is martinandruthpodcast at gmail.com. I almost said www. but no. obviously not. Yeah, it's martinandruthpodcast at gmail.com. Do you want to have some music? I think we should have some music. Uh, we'll start with yours. Uh, oh. Yeah, well... You, I've got an interesting one today. I've got one that's uh, from the... What era do you think we're going through this Oh, week? like the 30s or something. The 2000s. Oh, really? Uh, of the 2000s. That's we'll, we'll, mad. We'll play it is. Do you want we'll, me to explain what mine is before or after? I'll just... I'll say it's um, a song called Shadow Man by... Um, no, no name, no name. I don't know. I've never heard anyone say it out loud, but it's spelled no name. It is, um, but and no, it's featuring. Word, no name. Yeah, yeah. I think it might be like Naname or something, so yeah. I don't know. But um, it's featuring Felix, Smina, and Saba. How do you sing? How do you love me? How do you remember me? Amorotic nightingale, I hope the darkness keeps you well. When I can't fall asleep at night, I blindly taught myself to fight. That's grown on me. That uh, yeah, you enjoy because you said you said oh I'm not I'm not so fond of him. <laughs> um, <laughs> for some reason, when I do you, you go to be like a grumpy Yorkshire like old man, but mm. like that's de- not what you sound like really. Like a Daily Mail read. Yeah, um, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, so it is by a girl. So no, no name, no name. I don't know. I've never heard anyone say it out loud. Um, she is from Chicago. She's Chicagoan. 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 And she was originally, she did Open Mic Nights and Slam Poetry Competitions, ah. which is interesting because I like, I quite like Slam Poetry. I watch quite a bit of that on YouTube and stuff. It's a shame you can't listen to it all because basically she raps as well. Yes, but um, I heard them a lot of people have talked about how, like, st- like articles and tweets and stuff, not, not people, you know what I mean? Um, about how she raps like really softly and it's really pretty but she says so much more than a lot of the shouty screamy rappers do mm. and it's she's really really brilliant and her lyrics are really good okay well mine as i say is from uh 2010 how about that That's this is this is relatively it's only recent. six years yeah um, i'll play it first and then we'll talk about it it's uh, called willie's song and it's by rayland baxter Everybody loved him so he had a beautiful smile A good rapport and a pat on the back Got his name on the company flag But nobody seemed to know that Willie could fly Oh, but don't you fly away, boy Don't you fly away 
Well, that's a, a son sort of taking on the family business because his dad is called uh, Buddy, sorry, Bucky Baxter, Bucky Baxter, who is a multi-instrumentalist and played pedal steel guitar. Oh, you love a pedal steel guitar. Uh, absolutely love a pedal steel. And there's plenty of it in that song as well. Uh, pedal steel guitar for Bob Dylan on oh, uh, various cool. Bob Dylan tours and on a couple of Bob Dylan albums uh, and plays loads of other loads of other instruments as well. Uh, Raylan Baxter himself is described as alternative country. That sort of covers it. Uh, he's from Nashville. He began performing in 2010. He was featured on a song called Shanghai Cigarettes by uh, country musician Kathleen Rose. And uh, he's had a couple of albums. And that's. Uh, I just thought it'd be interesting to have something from the 2000s, just to show that I'm not totally lodged in... Th- but Almost, but so, not completely. Yeah, something from the 2000s that sounds like it might be... Uh, it might be yeah, that's older. the thing, isn't it? Well, I could pick loads of stuff that sounds like the Beatles, even, you know... Well, I mean, a lot nowadays. of the stuff, the... I mean, Oasis, but... Um, not just Oasis. I, I saw some stuff that was really interesting, so... I like Oasis, but I'm not like um You know, mm. people are really fans of Oasis. But I've never really been a massive fan of Oasis. I do quite like the Arctic Monkeys. Again, not like mm. super fan or anything. And I saw someone, but for boys, Arctic Monkeys large. Well, they're not they? really. I mean, plenty... But I, they would have a male, mostly male fan base, would they, Arctic not Monkeys? Not really. Kaiser I Chiefs, think that those bands? Kaiser, Kaiser Chiefs and Arctic Monkeys are not in the same stratosphere, but in terms of popularity... Um, anyway, and I saw someone talking about how Arctic Monkeys, and I, I actually agree with this, have reinvented themselves over and over again and have done that each album is really different and really good. Oasis have released, like, they released that one great album and then kind of it <laughs> sounded like the Beatles anyway. And they've not really done much after. I would, And I don't love Hi-Fine the stuff. Birds, Noel so. Gallagher and the High Fine Birds, I actually quite like their stuff. The stuff that Liam Gallagher's done solo, I wanted to like it a lot more than I do. This is some good news because I think the world is quite bleak at the moment and it's quite fractured. It's always bleak, you know. It's, it's always, always bleak. bleak. But People I think, think it's bleak. But I think it's worse, slightly but... bleaker. So I think 2000, everything... No, I think since... So wartime, bleak, not good at all. Cold War, again, not good at all. And then I think that generally the world has felt like it's improving year on year, even if some stuff is rubbish and some stuff is sad but generally the world has felt like it's improving but I think within the last kind of five years the world's not felt quite as optimistic Mm. and I've heard this from a lot of people and I was at um I do a thing where we um like a writer's forum thing and Mm. we read plays and stuff Uh, so we're reading a play which is set in the Warsaw Ghetto and about how the plays like this are still so important and because the ending although it's sad and stuff is actually quite hopeful and I think it's important to have that and they were saying yeah, maybe it's important to have that in the last 10 years, the world's felt quite fractured. And I think that it's a general thing that a lot of people have felt that the world is not as hopeful as it has been. I think been. it's because we know more. I think the, think the thing, so? Yeah, I think the thing that's, that, that induces pessimism in everybody, and I'm included in this, is, is climate change. I think the fact mm. we know way more about how our behaviour can damage the planet which is so much bigger than, but, than other but things. But some people still don't care. And I'm not talking about caring in a stopping using plastic, stopping shopping, going vegan. I'm not talking about like uh, making active changes because you care. But some people genuinely don't think about it. 
But the world may have been happier, say, in the 1960s and 1970s, when, you you know, you would eat bacon and, you know, have a bacon and egg sandwich and you really didn't know much about right. how it was produced. There was a naivety. And there was a naivety, which meant that you could be optimistic about stuff yeah. because you didn't think anything like that was going to change. But now, you know, just the act of eating a bacon sandwich, you feel to yourself, you know, because you know more about animal welfare, you know how, you know, you know the the damage that industrial scale farming does to the environment all that stuff mm. which we didn't know about so i think probably one of the uh, one of the reasons we're less optimistic is the fact that the media is so more perver- you know whether it's social media or the internet there's yeah. the internet's a huge reason, huge um, reason. Yeah. yeah i think that like social media is just terrible for everyone's well-being yeah. i but i think there is a climate of despair i would maybe yeah. argue well, there's all, there's and all... also people love and I think that Blitz... social media lends itself to that because people love to be melodramatic on Twitter and stuff about how mm. terrible their life is and people share a lot more about how they feel all the time so maybe it's that maybe everyone's been maybe it's, everyone's always had these mental health problems and always felt really rubbish about themselves but not had the platform to say it it could be true but, I don't know but also there's a the fact that bleak stuff does make the news that's yeah obviously it, yeah. and that's why misery memoirs for instance are so what popular. Are misery memoirs? Misery memoirs are these books we get hundreds of them in at talk radio and they're basically memoirs written by adults who as kids were severely abused had abusive childhoods right. and those books are I think that, that's they, they sell thing so of, well abusive childhood yeah. books but I think but then as a serial holocaust novel reader I think that some of that is because we believe because we think I think about how much your um, like parents affect you in later life and stuff. I mean, if you've read the the Philip Larkin poem High Windows, yes. then you you know that it's about how you. I'm not allowed to say the word. How your parents f you up, and I think that that's You're people being very love, responsible. I know we, we are in the kids and family I know, category because I looked on the iTunes thing to see whether we could have still have explicit e, but you've got to have clean lyrics. Mm. But I think people love to think about how their psychological. You know, people love to think about how psychologically your childhood affects you or whatever. Mm. So I think that's part of that, the misery memoir stuff. No, I think also the people like to read misery memoirs because they feel a bit better about themselves. They think, oh, well, at least, you know, I, wasn't, I haven't been locked in a cupboard for two yeah. years, you know. Um, <laughs> poetry, the figures are up. That's what that bit was. Oh, right. Because <laughs> um, I was saying it's nice to have some good news. This is your good news. Um, poetry figures for, for how much people are buying poetry and stuff is way, way, way up. It's been going up year on year on year, but 2018 has been like the peak forever. Right. Like it's amazing. Is that because um, of, of rap and things? And is no, it because, no, no. It's well, there's some different of, um, theories as to why it's better. Right. right, it's been up. So there's one is that it's. Is it about so, my friend Simon Armitage? No, not really. So Rupi Carr. Um, have you heard of her? No. So she has like three million followers on Instagram. I have a book. She did Milk and Honey. Her poetry is very Instagrammable, which is. One of the reasons that you say that the, the form's brevity means it can be easily consumed on phones and shared on social media. Oh, That's right. one of the reasons they say about it. Um, but yeah, she's got three million Instagram followers and so her books have sold incredibly well. But also people like Simon Armitage and Carol Ann Duffy and um, all the old poets that, you know, Shelley and mm. Yeats and Keats and stuff have all been popular as well. It's not just these mm. newer poets, but 
the main audience who are buying the poetry now and the reason it's shot up so much is because it's young people and so one of the arguments that they say one of the theories is that young people are searching for meaning in this increasingly fractured oh, world right. um, and it offers kind of an escape I and thought the reason was young people couldn't quite cope with reading a full book. Well, the, of one of growth. the one of the things is that the form's brevity means it's brevity, it's, yeah. it's more easily consumable, yeah. not just for Instagram and stuff, but also for the world. But I think that I always think about when I think about poetry and why it might be getting more popular. W. H. Arden, um, who found fame online for weddings and a funeral no, but, um, W.H. Arden said a thing That's great. W.H. Arden of four weddings and a funeral fame <laughs> no but W.H. Arden who's a great poet and who we watched a really good doc- did you watch that? yes I did the, that documentary about him was really good anyway he said that poetry might be defined as the clear expression of mixed feelings which mm. is one of my favourite quotes and I think that that's interesting because young people feel young people From especially mixed. especially a generation Z we we talked very weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks ago. I said weeks too many times and it's annoying. Oh, we talked weeks ago about how Generation Z are, although they're more liberal and the most against transphobia and biphobia and all that kind of stuff, they're also the most conservative generation and they're more conservative than millennials and they feel very much pulled in different ways. And Generation Z maybe are buying more poetry because it's... Mixed feelings. Poetry is all about mixed feelings and conflictions and stuff. Conflictions? Mm. Uh, have you a meme of the week? Yeah. Okay, so this isn't really a meme and it's not really funny. My God, you're selling this for <laughs> So, it, no, it kind of is. It's like a text post. It's like um, a Tumblr text post that someone's put on Instagram or whatever. That's what I'm counting as memes now. And the meme police or whatever can come for me, but whatever. Um, so this is Cinderella plot holes I'm tired of hearing about. One. Cinderella plot holes? Plot. Plot holes. Oh, Cinderella plot holes. Yeah, yeah. Plot, sorry. Number one. Why didn't her stepfamily recognise her? Because royal balls were basically the candlelit equivalent of clubbing in terms of both lighting and sheer numbers. Even if they were right next to her, they probably wouldn't get a good look, especially since it would have started after sundown. Also, she was the help. They probably hadn't looked at her in years. Number two, looking for someone based on their shoe size is stupid. See above. Three, was he going to have every size seven in the kingdom try the slipper on? Prior to industrialisation, most garments were made by hand to fit the bias measurements, including shoes. It's why poor people only had one pair. It's a lot smarter when you consider that they would have fit her like a glove. Number four. You can't run down the stairs in heels. I know this is a misconception, resulting from historical revisionism and Disneyfication, but high heels were not originally women's shoes. They were worn by white men. Women wore slippers, which were basically ballet flats. So it's debatable. Number five. Glass shoes don't make any sense. Okay, first of all, it's called the suspension of disbelief. And secondly, they're gold in every other version, but Perot decided to change them to something else expensive. Number six, she just went to the ball to find a man. I know this isn't a plot hole, but listen. As the daughter of a widower, Cinderella would have been running the household finances and acting as a hostess if she hadn't remarried. By demoting Cinderella to a servant, her stepmother essentially guaranteed that she would never escape the house, because the only way for her to escape and maintain her status was to marry well, and no one was going to marry a servant. 
It was essentially the historical equivalent of your mum stealing your college acceptance letters out of the mailbox. Then someone's just commented, this was not an analysis I was prepared for. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's very good. It's excellent. Uh, just to remind and you... And actually, the thing about... The, the last thing that's a... It's the historical equivalent of stealing your college acceptance letters out of the mailbox. It's from A Cinderella Story, if you've seen that, starring Hilary Duff. Thank you. A bit of extra information for you there. If you want to send us an email, martinandruthpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to get some of the music in full, it's... Um, you go on to Spotify and you can search either Martin and Ruth and that goes to our profile or Ruthie, me and my dad and that'll take you straight to the playlist with this week's songs and all the others. Excellent. And we'll be back with uh, episode 47 next week. 